Hi guys, welcome to No Way Jose. I'm Clayton Markham. And I'm Esther Jose. Esther and I were thinking about what we wanted to do this episode. And um, I was listening to a podcast recently because, you know, practice what you preach. And uh, Joe Rogan, the Joe Rogan Experience podcast is probably... um, the most famous podcast there is out there, um, at least in the English-speaking world. And um, and I, so I wanted to give it a listen to. And Malcolm Gladwell is one of my favorite podcasters. He was on that show. I listened to it. It was gold. And they were talking about how um, in the future, uh, well, Joe Rogan thinks that we're nearing very close to having mind-reading technology. That you could just have a machine and know what someone's thinking. But Malcolm was arguing that that wouldn't be as helpful as you think it is. Because um, you would really need to know someone's cultural context and where they're coming from and everything. And we were like, hey, we're from different cultures. (laughs) We we, we could talk about cross-cultural communication. So uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Break that down. Yeah. Um, so cross-cultural communication essentially started, I guess in a way because of capitalism or the study of cross-cultural communication at least, um, Mm -hmm. because back in the 20th century, um, at one point businesses were like, you know, um, what would make a lot more money, I mean, what would make us a lot more money is if we could actually expand our market to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. I mean... You know, businesses in India would make more money if they expanded outside. Businesses in America would expand. This helps businesses in any country. But to do that, essentially, you have to understand your market audience. And um, to understand your market audience, you need to know how they think, what language they speak in. You can't advertise uh, in English in China. You can't make mm-hmm. your, I don't know, knock-knock jokes. They, they'd be like, knock-knock? Like, what are you saying, you know? (laughs) Um, So it kind of started as market research, but now it's this whole um, study area. And um, I was actually, I came across a few uh, examples of when initially, I guess they were learning market research or whatnot. Sometimes these things go bad, because even though they try to understand their market, um, I don't think they really go bad these days, but... I've heard a lot of examples and stories of like how they used to go bad back in the day. Mm-hmm. And uh, for example, when Pepsi was trying to enter the Chinese market, I mean, now Pepsi and Coca-Cola are huge everywhere in the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, my grandfather who hasn't, who doesn't even, I don't know, the first time he went on an airplane to like a, the, our state's capital city was just like a few years ago. So he hadn't even gone to the capital city of our state ever. Wow. Um, yeah, like, as you can tell, like, he lives in a village, a remote village, he worked in, like, local hospitals and x-ray tech, um, but every time we're having an outing, he'll be like, did you buy the Coke? <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, he got co- the goods. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that could easily sound like a drug. <laughs> yeah, but people call it Coke. Um, yeah. But yeah, so now Coca-Cola and Pepsi have gone everywhere, imaginable. But when they started, even they had problems. So when Pepsi was first making it into China, um, the translation of their slogan, which I've actually never heard this slogan, oh, Pepsi no. brings you back to life. Hmm. 
but maybe that was their slogan at the time. And uh, that to diabetes. Mm, continue. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, back then, uh, I guess that was their slogan, and they translated it into Chinese, and it read in Chinese. Pepsi will bring your ancestors back from the grave. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Which is amazing. Because I'm just like imagining driving down the street and you're, you know, reading the advertisements or whatever. There's just this random advertisement with a picture of a soft drink and it's like, this will bring your ancestors back from... <laughs> I mean, I would totally think that was... You know, people... Are you kidding? I would buy it. <laughs> that would be amazing. That would have actually been pretty amazing for Chinese because don't they worship ancestors? Yeah, you really... Um, care and basically worship your ancestors. I don't know much about it, so I don't want to say the wrong yeah, thing, but I believe yeah. so. Yeah, I believe they do. I mean, I've seen Mulan. <laughs> I mean, I don't know if that's that's like bringing God back to life in a way too. God mm. to life. Yeah, but they also believe their ancestors are alive. That's why they pray to them. Yeah, the, so saying bringing them, them back to life would also be offensive, I guess. We're just. It obviously didn't work. <laughs> it did not work. Is the is the um, end point, which which kind of explains why it's important to understand cross cultural communication. Yeah. Um. But I just have another example of this because these were funny. <laughs> um. But so General Motors had a problem mm. when they introduced the Chevrolet Nova in South America. Um. So they essentially introduced this new car. They're advertising. They're putting a lot of money in it, and no one oh, is buying it. Oh, I know where this it. one is going. No one, because you know Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> no one is buying it, and I mean this sounds crazy to me now because I would think that even someone in General Motors, at least someone, would know Spanish and be like, "Bro, <laughs> obviously it's not working because Nova means what does it mean, Clayton?" Uh, it doesn't doesn't go. It doesn't no go. go. <laughs> no go. Get out of the car. <laughs> it's not working. It actually makes sense because in French, va means go. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, another the... romance language. Yeah. There's oh another thing which is funny. Mm-hmm. I used to struggle so much with that word in French because in my language, va means come. Oh, like, <laughs> like what type? <laughs> what? The opposite of go, Clayton. Oh, okay. You know, gotcha. come here. Oh, the opposite of, like, go away. Yeah. Like, to... Okay, gotcha. So, my brain was always like, well, it's go in French. But, Hmm, yeah, so essentially the car they were advertising was the Chevrolet, it won't go. Um, (laughs) They actually renamed the car in South America to Caribe. Uh Uh-huh, which means Caribbean. Oh. Yes. That's cool. Caribe. Um, So, yeah. Um... I guess the one advantage of not doing cross-cultural communication well is that it's funny. Yeah, entertainment for us. A lot of (laughs) losses and revenue for the businesses, though, I imagine. Yeah. Well, we have a lot to bring to the table with cross-cultural communication because you've been practically studying abroad for, what has it been, five years now? It has been four years and As she looks at her watch. <laughs> I was looking at the date. I was looking at what uh, month okay. it was. I mean, I am aware months. of what month it is. It's just my brain couldn't bring it up really quick, so I had to look at my watch. Um, four years and two months. I'm going to be yeah. that mom who's like, my baby is 72 months. <laughs> <laughs> Let 50. me check my watch to see how old my baby that's is. That's 50 months. Four years and two months. I feel like that's a milestone. Uh-huh. 
Yeah, we. Okay, we're gonna get some champagne out after this podcast is over. Um, yeah, and as I talk about incessantly, I probably mentioned it every podcast episode thus far. I spent ten weeks in Costa Rica, also navigating a new cultural context um, and learning a new language. Um, so I think we have some some stuff we could maybe share. With people surrounding those experiences. Yeah. You said you wanted to talk about the taxi story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I said I have a taxi story. So, yeah, I w- I'm, was racking my brain um, because, really, every moment you learn something new. Once you're 50 months in, it's not quite every day. But when you're only in a new country for 10 weeks, every five minutes there's something new. It's overwhelming. Yeah. Because you're, like, you know... They have um, experts have this down to a science with like um, entering a new culture. I think there's a honeymoon phase where all you um, are is. We had to read about this um, when I was taking Spanish classes. The school made us read this paper. About honeymoons? Um, no, <laughs> but the different phases um, that you go through when you enter a new culture. Initially, it's the honeymoon phase, like everything's cool and shiny and new and amazing, and then you. Then there's like this like depression phase where you're like, oh, I can't communicate. People don't know who this I am. This sounds like a wedding, like a marriage. <laughs> oh man, yeah, it's it's a metaphor for a lot of things. And then you like you reach equilibrium, like you're you know you're just back to life. There are highs and lows, but it's normal and it's spread out. Um, Ten weeks, you're you're like you know it's all condensed down. It's a whirlwind of emotions. What were you going to say? <laughs> <laughs> Talking about cross-cultural communication, you know how I just said, it's like a wedding, like a marriage. Mm. So that's because in India, the terms wedding and marriage are interchangeable. Oh. The actual ceremony is often referred to as marriage. Um, and your married life is just referred to as married life. So I've really struggled. Mm. For some reason, this is not some... Every time I get this wrong, I'm like, oh, it's like a wedding, which is the ceremony, Right. And the marriage is your actual life together. So, yeah, that's... Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought it was funny because it happened, like... <laughs> I wonder if that's just a lingual thing or, like, if it has more meaning, like, you know... It doesn't have any meaning. It's just because okay. we're not great at the English in general. <laughs> oh, okay. That's not even translated from... No, it, it, no in English, that's oh, how okay. we say it. Oh, yeah, that's funny. So. That's funny. Yeah. Well, it's just a different version of English, like anything. Okay, so to my taxi story. Basically, I was working at a wildlife rescue center, and I had to speed walk up the hill every day to the bus station to hop in a taxi, took the same taxi with the same taxi driver every day with some of my coworkers to the rescue center. And um, <laughs> I would get in the, the car and shut the door, and the taxi driver would just look at me for a little bit and then look away and drive on and we did this for a few days and then finally everyone in the taxi with you is also american no they're all um they're all costa ricans okay yeah um there were um it depended not sometimes people didn't take the taxi but it. Um, it was usually four people in a taxi with this taxi driver and um he would just kind of look at me and not say anything and then continue on but after a while he mentioned something to me, or I can't remember. He might have said something. He was kind of like, you could tell he wasn't a very confrontational type of guy. Might have said something to one of my coworkers. And, um, and they said, can you try shutting the door a little? 
calmer next time. <laughs> and I was like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. And so at the end of that ride, I tried. And I still didn't get it calm enough. And they were like, eh, less next time. And it took me like seven tries to get it right. Because in the United States, um, I don't know what the exact reason is, but I think a combination of we have um, nicer cars, people get a new car more often, and it's just not a thing in the culture. People slam their car doors. But in Costa Rica, that is very rude. And they also have, <laughs> they also have more like breakable, oh my God, I can't do words today, <laughs> doors. Um, you know, so for like mechanical reasons and cultural reasons, they want you to shut it quieter. And, um, that's apparently something that every American, uh, student or, you know, volunteer coming from abroad does. This there. is so funny because mm -hmm. I have an adopted family and I also have a 2011 Honda Civic that's actually driven around the world more than like 20 times in terms of miles. I mean, it's... I don't know how many miles it has. I calculated this once. But anyway. <laughs> Maybe if you check your watch. 20 times? 10 times? <laughs> it's like 170,000 miles. It's, all, it's, it's been wow. everywhere. Um, but it's a little Honda Civic and I want it to last a while because I'm a PhD student and I'm poor. And <laughs> I grew up in India where you're not supposed to slam car doors because mm -hmm. I've literally seen doors that just break and fall off. Yeah. And my adopted sisters will like get out of the car and slam it and every time i'm like could you please not do that <laughs> <laughs> so and they're from astral no no no, 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 no my adopted family here yeah so <laughs> yeah. that's wait so so my honda civic's car door is not gonna break but i also think it's yeah i don't know it's just part of it's it, on top of like just at preserving the life of the door, I think it's just a courtesy thing that just never developed. But also, newer States. cars don't close unless you slam them. Do you know that? And I think that's because they're so much more firmer. Now we're just talking mm -hmm. about car doors. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Let's let's <laughs> get a podcast about car doors. Do you have um, any experiences you want to talk about? So many. Oh my I was gosh. Just oh my gosh. <laughs> you. How long did you were you in Costa Rica for? Ten weeks. Compared to 50 months. <laughs> yeah, I was like, I've only been in America for five times longer than you, and I realized it's 50 months, not yeah, weeks. Yeah. Um, well, so there's aunt versus aunt. Mm -hmm. And the first time someone said to me when I came here, my aunt passed away, I did that. Exactly. That <laughs> <laughs> you silly. Because I'm like... Oh, your aunt passed away. That's so cute. Thankfully, I didn't say that, but I don't remember what exactly happened. For some reason, it wasn't that bad. I think I was like, I caught myself because I saw other people's reaction or something like that, but it was about to be disastrous because I thought they were talking about an ant, like an insect. Yeah. But they, why would you say ant, first of all? Because <laughs> but... I have a very measly accent here. But I mean, I say aunt, if in case mm -hmm. you didn't get it, that that was my problem. Because I grew up saying aunt, auntie, right? Mm -hmm. Auntie is very popular. Um, we actually use the word aunt a lot, even if you don't speak English. Aunt is kind of adopted into our own mm -hmm. languages too, so aunt or auntie, and yeah, like auntie. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, so there's that. Um, man, there's so many. 
Um, I remember I... So, we don't have turtlenecks where I'm from. Mm-hmm. Because um, maybe in northern India they were turtlenecks, but in south India, you live close to the equator, it's never below 85. I'm talking our winter is never below 85, so wow. like... We're obviously not wearing a tur- a turtleneck, <laughs> um, but when I first came here, I mean, I kind of seen the look, right, on pictures of fashion magazines or whatever, mm-hmm. but I didn't know it was called something particularly, but then I came here, and I remember one of the first gifts I ever got was actually, like, before I came to America, my brother sent me a turtleneck sweater. I still didn't know what it was called, and I was wearing it, and I thought it was, I looked cool. And I came here, and somewhere I read that it was called a turtleneck. And I was like, oh, that's cool. And I never made the connection that it's called a turtleneck because it looks like a turtle. You know, like, <laughs> all it's covered all the way up to your head. Yeah. But I, my brain, I was just reading it in passing. My brain was like, oh, okay, so that sweater's called something, some animal. Some animal with a T, neck. Yeah. Like, it, it, it just kind of registered that information. Yeah. And then, <laughs> a few weeks later, again, this is with my adopted family. So much of this happened with them, because they're the first, like, American people I know. To witness So these. they've laughed at me and with <laughs> me so much. Um, but we were sitting in the car, and I think some, one of their kids, like one of my adopted sisters, or maybe my adopted mom was wearing a turtleneck sweater, and I was like, that's a cool turkey neck sweater, and they all, like, choked. I mean, they died. <laughs> I would have died, too. <laughs> They're like, what did you say? That's like, turkey neck? <laughs> <laughs> they were like, what? <laughs> have you seen a turkey? And I was confused by the question. A turkey neck would be like this, like, dangly <laughs> thing in front of your... But see, that's exactly their point. But I never even realized that it was called a turtleneck because it looked like a turtle. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? I just thought it was random. Yeah. And I was like, yeah. How I was my my head I was like, how am I supposed to memorize all the animals you name your clothes after? Like <laughs> give me some time to memorize all of them. Yeah. But then I was like, oh Esther, it's supposed to be called a turtleneck because it looks like a turtle. But to this day, even though I know that now, I was about to say turkey neck earlier, which is why I caught myself. <laughs> but yeah, I'm glad we don't have turkey neck sweaters with a no. little <laughs> That'd be like what the people in colonial times wore. It was just like this frill. Oh, that's what a turkey neck. Yeah, they've invented it. Not the first. Yeah. But. <laughs> yeah, those... I mean, there's so many more, like, high-stakes uh, stories we could probably share, but those are the, you know, the funny, memorable ones. Yeah. So, there is this research organization, not research organization, my bad, there's this organization called Presence Group in mm-hmm. Europe, and they do translation services. Mm-hmm. This is not an ad. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like an not ad, because we just stopped <laughs> laughing and we were like, all right, let's talk about the Presence Group in Europe. Um, but I was reading a little about cross-cultural communication And they kind of had, like, the five fundamentals of effective cross-cultural communication, which I thought was cool because we were laughing for a long time. But I also think it's, I think it's an important skill to have, especially in in modern-day America where we um, meet people from so many different cultures and, yeah, Yeah. all that jazz. So, there are five pillars, they say... These are the ways to not fall flat on your face. I thought that was a good way to put it. Yeah. Or to say turkey neck. (laughs) 
not, you know, figuratively falling on your face. But also have patience with people when they say turkey neck. Yeah, being on both sides of it. That one is easy to have patience with because it's funny. A lot mm-hmm. of times it's not funny. It's just... Yeah. It's hard. Um, I mean, both of us have actually been student leaders. Uh, it's just kind of like assistant TA. And we literally get training on how to deal with international students. Because mm-hmm. it's hard and frustrating. Um, and even though I'm international, it, it, it's I get impatient too. Uh, I'm not immune from it. And I'm also notoriously impatient. <laughs> um, but yeah, patience. I'm learning patience. We could all yeah, use patience. I'm, if patience isn't on their list, I'm sh- that's an important one. It's not. <laughs> <laughs> it's implied. It's implied, yeah. So the first one they talk about is awareness, um, which I think is how like, educating yourself on anything starts. Oh, yeah. Um, but it talks about like being aware that different cultures operate differently. Mm-hmm. Which I think is super important. Um, even the little things, right? Like, it. so, in India, you might not know this actually, but touching things with your feet or even like bumping into people and stuff like that is considered to be super disrespectful, but especially your feet. Mm-hmm. So, um, when we were little, we were taught not to, um, you know, like... Especially books, because books are sacred, because education is a god in India, so you can't mm. touch a book with your feet. Oh, wow. You can't touch a book bag with your feet. I'm talking, like, there's a little thing they do, which is, like, if they if, if, book, if book bag is sitting on the floor and you accidentally touch it with your feet while walking by, they'll, like, touch the book bag and kiss their hand, which is, like, a way of apologizing mm. to the book bag. I mean, one of my roommates in America does this. Like, it's so ingrained in her mind. Yeah. Does that wow. make sense? But Crazy. my parents grew up being like, we're Christians. We don't worship education because uh-huh. we're not Hindu. So they never taught us to do that. Uh, but actually, I remember in school once I was walking and I suddenly kicked my book bag when I was getting off of my desk because it was on the floor next to it. And one of my teachers was like, it's called like, um, it's I don't know how to translate that phrase, but you know, like do that thing, like apologize to it. And I was like, no. Because I'm like, my parents are like, you don't apologize to a book bag. It's an object. And for them, it's so sacred. But also your feet are so not sacred. Mm. My parents only did that with the Bible, though. Or like Mm -hmm. spiritual books, I guess, if we had them. Mm -hmm. Um, But even if we had the Bible sitting on like um, a coffee table. And I pulled the coffee. I used to pull the coffee table in front of my little um, couch to put my legs on, to put my feet on, um, we weren't allowed to do that, because you can't mm. put your feet above the Bible. Oh, wow. Which is actually a thing in all Muslim cultures, you can't put your feet above the Quran. Mm. Um, just so they keep the Quran in the highest place, just to make sure. So that's, that's like a huge thing, right? And then I come here, and, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I mean, no. I already don't follow most of these things. I mean, I don't, like, follow it with regular books. But I come here, and especially in church and stuff, like, people just, they just, like, read the Bible. I mean, they hold it with one hand. They're they're just, like, they fold the outer cover of it while holding it so it's easier to hold. And then, like, I remember one time my um, pastor, we had, like, a little get-together with some church people, and I think the Bible was, like, on, was sitting next to him on the couch. And for some reason, he, like, closed it and put it under his, like, leg, and it just blew my mind. I was, like is this a good church? <laughs> because it's... Like, do you get what I'm saying? Yeah. I couldn't yeah, even... For I didn't even understand what was happening. 
Yeah. I feel like I just went into another story, but... No, this is... that. It, that's so much packed into that. There's, like, cross-cultural communication in your own culture. Yeah. Between Christians and Hindus yeah. and the differences between... You would think that there would be some universal practice like that between... Christians in India and, and Christians yeah, here. Just, the yeah. one thing you think you can count on is no. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly my problem. Because yeah. the one thing I was sure about in America was Christianity. Because yeah. we follow an American version of Christianity in India. Because like mm-hmm. a lot of it was from missionaries and stuff. But even then, it, yeah, that was. Even today, I don't like. I do treat the Bible a little bit like it's sacred. I try not to do that because I'm like I I get it now. It's 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 just a book. It has. I believe it has holy words in it, but it's the content that matters, you know? Mm-hmm. And the relationship with God, not the book. Yeah. But, yeah. I mean, I, in India, when, like, Christians are persecuted, a very common thing for them to do is to force them to spit on a Bible. Because that's the ultimate way of renouncing your religion. Mm-hmm. Like, it's that intense. Like, the Bible essentially depicts your religion, or the Bhagavad yeah. Gita depicts Hinduism. Yeah. Um, but I think my point is that you have to be aware of how it's not just that people speak a different language that's or yeah there's so many different things like this that you wouldn't even know about yeah um but just being aware that there are things you don't know about yeah and yeah and have patience about it and number two preparation it's also important uh if you're going to a different country or you're i guess this applies more if you're going to a different country because you can prepare stuff every time you meet someone in this country to be like let me just prepare really quick and understand but if you're going to a different country um preparing and uh, and learning a little bit about what i mean i looked up so many times like i've seen so many times common misconceptions like americans have about europe for example or common Mm -hmm. um you know ways that these cultures are different if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so stuff like that, you can understand what you expect, which I think is important. I mean, I tried to do that. I spoke to my brother. He was living here. Um, and I tried to do all of that. He didn't even tell me how much it was going to snow here, so I don't know how useful it was. But... <laughs> and then here you are, being a humidifier and yeah. hardly being able to breathe in the dry We winters. live in Buffalo, for context. Oh, Buffalo, yeah. New York, what? in Canada. Basically, basically. Um, So yeah, if you're going to a different country, be aware first that they're going to be different and also be aware that people coming here are different, come Mm -hmm. from a different place. And if you're going to a different country and you have the opportunity to prepare, do so. Um, You don't have to know everything about a different culture, but just putting in the effort takes you so far because they appreciate that. So, yeah. yeah. And then continuing the list... You know what you can't you can't fully prepare for everything um so that's where these other ones come in but um the third one on their list is language and um this one's pretty obvious obviously you can't get everything out of a culture fully understand if you don't understand the language it's crucial but i think what a lot of people forget is um how much language and culture are intertwined when i was taking classes uh spanish classes in costa rica um, I thought, okay, we're going to do grammar, we're going to do spelling. No, my Spanish classes were just culture class. We talked about, um, uh, both of my teachers happened to be international um, uh, studies um, 
uh, they, that's what they studied in college. I thought they were going to be international movie stars. No. <laughs> I wish. Um, they were, um, what is it, uh, international um, policy, um, something like that, relations. And um, so we just ended up talking about um, Costa Rican politics and American politics and soccer. And, and Spanish was just a tool, a vehicle through which we could discuss all these things and learn more about each other. And um, so language is really a tool to learn the culture. Culture is the end game. Um, that's the meaningful part in my, my opinion. And then number four is humor. Um, and when you're, when you have, you know, you're not fully fluent in a language, it's, you, sh you know, it's important to remember that everything's not going to come across. You know, I consider myself to be a relatively funny guy, but I'm not going to be able to tell the same jokes in Spanish that I tell in English. When I was in Costa Rica, what I could do was... Um, because I still like, you know, um, a great way to, to show that you're, um, you know, really open to getting along with your family is to, you know, try and be lighthearted and funny. And so I do things like we, um, uh, Costa Ricans just have this weird, uh, apprehension of the rain. They believe the rain carries a lot of diseases and things. Really? Um, yeah. So whenever it rains, everyone just locks up, goes inside. So I ran, <laughs> I ran outside into the rain and I started dancing in it. And um, they don't they don't believe this so much that they don't believe they can be in the rain at all. Um, so it was still appropriate, but, um, and they were laughing at me. They took videos, <laughs> um, uh, cause that's what my sisters and I do when we're at home. Whenever there's a thunderstorm, probably not the safest thing. We run outside and dance in the rain. So, um, uh, j just know that in another culture, you can be funny, but not funny in the same way. Um, yeah, not, not jokes don't translate. No, like we've said. And then, um, the last one is openness. And that is the catch-all, you know, in the event that you can't prepare, that you can't tell a joke, on either side of a cross-cultural interaction, be open, be understanding, know people, um, you can tell when someone is um, trying and, and is open to learning something and when they're, when they're be just being, you know, closed-minded or racist or what have you. And that made me think, as, as you were talking, Esther, I remembered back when we first had our first, like, long conversation when you were my RA, and um, I came in your room for our one-on-one, -on -one, um, you were telling me stories um, from India. We just, you just started opening up to me and telling me all this stuff. The one-on-one -on -one was supposed to get you to open up, but I guess it was yeah. the opposite. <laughs> but it was super interesting. You were my RA. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, okay, Esther, tell me a little bit about yourself. <laughs> Um, but you, at one point I asked, um, so, so do you speak Indian? Did you ask me I that? Asked you that. <laughs> <laughs> and Indian is not a language. And, but, but Esther, being the amazing person she is, knew that I was really engaged in this conversation the whole time. I really wanted to learn about what she was talking about. So she politely corrected me and was like, okay, no, it's Hindi. <laughs> or in, in your case, more so Thummel. Yeah. You um, there's which so a lot well. of people, Thank you. There's a lot more languages than people think in India, really any country. Um, so um, that is a great example of um, being open. Um, yeah. Knowing people are going to slip up and not being super rigid. Yeah, I have always held that view because um, I... 
people ask me, you know, like, I don't mean to offend you, but can I ask you this? And to this day that happens. And I'm like, I love that you asked me this first. I love that you asked me questions about my culture because A, it allows me to talk about India, which I don't want to do all the time because I don't want to be that Indian girl who's always talking about India. Mm-hmm. But it's it's where I'm from. It defines so much of me. Yeah. Um. So I get to talk about it and I know you're interested because you asked me the question. And two, you're... You want to learn. That's great. And I'm not going to judge you if you ask a bad question because I said turkey neck and you didn't judge me. I mean, <laughs> you laughed, but, <laughs> yeah. you know, that's, yeah, I think that's the whole point of it. So. It was both ways. And the more open both parties are, the less people need to say that, you know, I hope I don't offend you. If there's an understanding yeah. that you're not yeah. going to be offended. Um, and that doesn't just apply to people from two different countries. We need to be more open um, in interactions we have with people of different experiences in general. Within mm-hmm. the United States, mm-hmm. people get their um, communication wrong all the time. And speaking of my hero, Malcolm Gladwell again, he was talking about in this podcast one of the new books he's written called Talking to Strangers, which completely centers around um, interactions and conversations gone wrong, why they went wrong, what we can learn from them. Are you talking about the debate? The debate? <laughs> The debate, we're referring to the first 2020 presidential debate on September 29th, 2020. Uh, yeah, great example. Oh my gosh, not a good example uh, for the rest of the country on how to communicate effectively. Yeah. Yeah. The VPs did better. Both of them did I, better. Yeah, I've, I have to, I've yet to watch it. But. Yeah. So. Don't be the president. No. <laughs> what, moral of the story don't be the president. Don't be the president. <laughs> um, and I would say the, the, the moral of the story is... Keep asking know. those questions. <laughs> yes! Oh my gosh, who says that? Whoever says I'm that sorry. must be the smartest person in the world. I keep stopping your moral. Tell me your moral. <laughs> well, no, I feel like the last one, be open, like yeah. catches everything. Yeah. Uh, when everything else uh, falls away, when you have nothing else to count on. Yeah. Keep an open mind. Keep an open mind. Answer yeah. questions and ask them. Oh my gosh. I don't think I can even say my thing now. You stole my thunder. <laughs> Next time, we will be talking about my frenemy, recycling. I have a bit of a love-hate relationship with the three R's, and I think it's necessary, but I think it's a bit of a hot mess at the same time. So I'm going to be breaking that down with you all together. And if you know me in real life, you know I'm a bit of a recycling nut, as well as I do recycling research with an environmental engineering professor at the University at Buffalo. So I've got a lot to say. Stay tuned next time. As always, make sure to stay safe, get vaccinated if you can, and keep asking those questions. That's a wrap.